to Talk FX, where we promise to keep the conversation honest and real for our Fragile X community. We are a group of moms of Fragile X children, self-advocates, and full mutation carriers from Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, all on a mission to share our stories and experiences in the hopes of reaching more Fragile X families and creating more awareness of Fragile X syndrome. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to this week's episode of Talk FX. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Talk Fragile X podcast. We're joined today with Erica, a mom of her son who has uh, Fragile X syndrome. She will be sharing with us about uh, her family's diagnosis story and uh, the importance of creating more awareness and advocacy for Fragile X and some perspective on virtual education versus in-person education for the next school year for individuals with developmental disabilities. So thank you so much for joining us, Erica. Thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super excited as well. So um, as you mentioned, um, I have I actually have two kids with Fragile X. So I have my uh, two biological children, Amaya, who is eight years old, and Emma, who is five years old, were both diagnosed with Fragile X. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. So just want to you know. Um, <laughs> also, um I guess with our Fragile X diagnosis, it's always like a long process. <laughs> yeah. As I heard with other families, it's always like for us, um, our son Emmett was diagnosed back in 2016, right before his um, second birthday. Um, it literally took us, I believe, about a year and a half to get any specialists to listen to our concerns, to get him wow. tested. It was a really, really long process. I felt like nobody was listening to us. I He did start early intervention very early on, um, but I had to fight for those services. <laughs> I felt like it yeah. was like a battle. Like I remember he got, he got evaluated for, for services through our regional center, the Central Valley Regional Center. Um, and they, they didn't want to give us services at the beginning because they said that he was still very young. He was eight months old when I had requested for him to get services with them. And um, he wasn't sitting up. That was like my biggest concern. I, I think that was like the, my biggest red flag with Emmett. It was that he was eight months old and he couldn't lift up his head and he wasn't sitting up and he wasn't like babbling. He wasn't uh, making any noises. Um, there was like really no eye contact. And he was always like, not content he was always crying he was he wasn't sleeping and things like that so that's why I took him to the regional center first because um, my pediatrician wasn't listening to me yeah so he was just like oh he's he's a boy he's lazy um he'll grow out of it and it was just so frustrating I think it was just I kept telling him, I told him when he was six months, I was like, he still doesn't lift up his head. And I really had had my daughter because my daughter is older. And I kept telling him, hey, you know, he doesn't lift up his head. He looks a little bit different. Um, he acts a little bit different than my daughter. And I know there was a difference because, I mean, he's a boy and she's a girl. 
mm-hmm. but to an extent, you know, there's there should be like, you know, some things that they do similarly, like you know, lifting up their head or you know, just babbling and things like that. Which Emmett wasn't doing any of that, so I brought it up to his attention, and they refused. He refused to refer him out, so I had to find somebody new, and it took a while to find somebody that would listen. I think it was until Emmett got really sick he was getting sick with a lot of ear infections mm-hmm. um, until that that's when it kind of I, I kept taking him to the doctor constantly at least three four times a month because of his ear infections and because he was always crying yeah <laughs> so so I was like he has to be hurting and he wasn't latching on well like he was breastfed and he was having such a difficult time sucking and things like that so I, I was just like, there has to be something going on with him. And um, we eventually, after like a year of like hopping around doctors, we eventually found a specialist. Um, I think it was a neurologist. Um, we were referred to a neurologist by a pediatrician. Um, the pediatrician had met Emma by accident because his pediatrician wasn't there. So Emma was seen by the pediatrician, another pediatrician that was in the clinic. And he saw him and he was like, um, he, I mean, the biggest thing was that he told me, oh, can you sit him on the scale? Because Emmett was about nine months old, I believe. He was about nine, ten months old. And he's like, can you sit him on the scale? And I was like, well, he doesn't sit. And then he's like, what do you mean he doesn't sit? And I was like, yeah, he's, you know, he can't sit. Like, he can't physically sit. And he's like, okay, well, then lay him down. And then I was like, well, if I lay him down, like, he's going to roll over, like, off the scale because he, like, he, he just doesn't have any control of his body. And he, he lifted him up and he tried to sit him on the scale because he thought maybe I was lying or something. So he picks him up and he puts him on the scale and he's just, like, he's confused because he's like, oh, my God, he's so big. And he was a big boy. Emmett was really big. He was big when he was born. He was almost, like like I think he's nine pounds almost 10 pounds or something so he was a big boy yeah (laughs) so he was huge so they're thinking how does that this big boy can't sit down on the scale so he grabs him he puts him on there and he's like oh my god like this there's something wrong with him and then he's like what does your pediatrician say and I was like he says there's nothing wrong with him that he's fine and then he measured his head and he's like his head is so big did you ever think that there's anything wrong with his head and I was like no <laughs> like I just thought and he measured my head and he's like but your head's not that big is your husband's head big and I was like no he's like well then why is he like this and I was like if you don't know then I don't know you know nobody knows and so mm-hmm. he was he was the one that was like okay I'm gonna refer you out and he referred him out to a neurologist and he referred him out and ever since we seen the neurologist he was the one that was like okay well he diagnosed him with um with autism first. So mm-hmm. he got his autism diagnosis first. And then the neurologist was like, it's just not making sense to me. Like he does seem autistic because I have a brother that he also has fragile X syndrome. Um, but he wasn't diagnosed until we found out that Emmett had fragile X syndrome. So oh, okay. he was diagnosed with um, autism, severe nonverbal autism and intellectual disability and all that stuff that's associated with fragile X. Um, so he was diagnosed with all that stuff. And then I, I told the neurologist, like, hey, I have a brother that has autism. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he seems like he has autism. But like, there's something else like 
doesn't it seem like that to you? And ever since he said that, I was like, I started Googling everything. And then I was like, oh my God, like there has to be. And I used to be around a lot of kids with autism because mm-hmm. I used to work with kids with autism. So I kind of felt like he didn't, he wasn't re- like, yeah, I don't know. I would compare him to a lot of, I mean, all the kids with autism are so different, but I would, I would go back to the, the kids that I was working with. And then I would compare them to him. And I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Like a lot of the physical aspects of it, like didn't make sense mm-hmm. uh, with his autism diagnosis. So then I told the neurologist, like, what else can I do? Like, can I, can we do more testing? I want, you know, everything to get tested. And he's like, yeah, well, well I'll refer you out to a geneticist where they can test them for further, you know, things and stuff like that. And the geneticist tested him for everything because I was like, I want him to get tested for everything. I want to know the cause of autism because I was like, I want answers. I want everything. And he tested him for everything. And the only one that came back um, positive was for the fragile X syndrome. And uh, yeah, and ever since then, we got the fragile X syndrome diagnosis. And after he got diagnosed, um, the geneticist was like, um, did you ever have concerns about your daughter? I had my daughter with us at that appointment. And mm-hmm. he, he saw her and he's like, oh, do you, um, do you have concerns about her? And I was like, well, I always like, there was like, when she was smaller, she always struggled saying certain words. But I always thought it was because she was always around adults because, you know, she was the baby or mm-hmm. things like that. So I was like, I always made up excuses as to why she couldn't speak properly or why she was developing a little bit behind her peers. Not really, really behind, but just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I brought it to his attention. He's like, okay, let's test her. I mean, I don't think she has fragile X because she looks fine and she's doing fine in school, but you know what, let's just test her and then let's just test to see if you're the carrier or if, you know, your husband's a carrier. But I think you're going to be the carrier because we went back to like our family's um, medical history and stuff. And there's more people with like intellectual disabilities in my family than my husband's family. So that's when we kind of figured that, you know, fragile X runs in my family, not his. (laughs) Right. So then we went down that path and then we got, all got tested, um, well, myself and then my daughter. And then after I came back positive, that's when I brought it up to my mom's attention that maybe my brother didn't just have autism. Maybe he had fragile X syndrome as well, just because he had a lot of things similar to my son. Mm-hmm. So he got tested as well. And yeah, it turned out that he has fragile X syndrome. Wow. And then uh, my daughter turned out that she has fragile X syndrome as well. And they all have the full mutation. The only mm-hmm. carrier is myself. And um, that's how we found out that we all had fragile X. <laughs> wow. That is quite a, like you said, a, a long journey to figure that out. Yeah. You know? Wow. I, I think that um, a lot of, a lot of people can probably relate to you and, trying to fight for their kids to, you know, figure out, um, you know, what, what, what may, what they may have, you know, and um, I've also spoken with families that have had to find the right physician to, to work with them um, to figure it out as well. Um, It's, it's really interesting, but um, I did want to ask you, um, With your son and daughter, does your daughter uh, just 
does she tend to have more milder symptoms of Fragile X than your son does? Or um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so my daughter does have milder symptoms. The only, I would say the only big struggles that she has are basically most mostly on the social side. So she's like really, really super shy. Um, she doesn't really know how to start up a conversation. So at school, she doesn't know how to initiate a conversation with peers. So she kind of struggles like making friends. And then also um, she struggles with getting too focused. Like she gets so focused on certain activities that she will rather, you know, do that activity than go to the restroom. Like her basic needs, she rather do that activity. If she's super, super hungry or she needs to go to the restroom and if she's doing something, and it's something that, you know, maybe like an assignment at school or maybe just like a craft or an art project or something like that. She's so focused and determined to finish it and have it perfect that she'd rather do that than, you know, do her basic needs that she needs to do. So I feel like that's where she struggles the most. That's like the biggest issues that we have with her. Aside from like intellectually, she doesn't struggle at all. She actually, she's the opposite. She exceeds all her peers like academically and all that stuff so mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's very different than my son I feel like you get two different worlds which is like you get like way different struggles like my son struggles you know developmentally he struggles you know academically he struggles and he has like struggles in every single area physical struggles and things like that whereas my daughter I mean she had some low muscle tone but not to the severity. It was more like mild. All her symptoms are like mild versions of Emmett symptoms. <laughs> okay. Well, that's certainly um, interesting because I I have had yet to talk with a mom who has both a uh, you know daughter and a son with fragile X. So I really appreciate you sharing that in just some of the differences because you know I um, I have a cousin with. Uh, the full mutation fragile X and I'm a carrier. Um, but I actually also have the uh, full mutation fragile X, but mm -hmm. you just would not know it. Um, they, so basically when I got diagnosed with it, my uh, genetic counselor said, Hey, you know, you are a carrier, but you're also a full mutation um, fragile X carrier. So that means that, you know, you do have it, but you don't possess any real, like, noticeable um, cognitive or, you know, uh, behavioral, behavioral characteristics of it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's different in females. Some females, you know, have the full mutation where you notice it in their behavior and uh, in their cognitive development or maybe just one or um, it's, it's very interesting with females, but I know for males, you know, they tend to have the um, full mutation and they get um, like most of, um, you know, the, the cognitive and behavioral yeah. characteristics of it. Yes, they, yeah, they do. I was like, it's pretty neat that, I mean, I, I would have, I mean, if my son would have had gotten diagnosed, I don't think I would have ever noticed just because it's like, it's something that you don't really pick up unless you, 
I mean, at school, I know once we brought it up and she got evaluated, she, my daughter has a, what they call a 504 plan. Um, okay. We didn't, we were going to go and try to get her an IEP, but we just didn't think it was necessary because she doesn't, I don't know, because she understands so much. I felt like she didn't want to be like, have this label on herself. So I didn't want to impose like, you know, an IEP and then, you know, have all these services coming in and if she doesn't feel comfortable receiving those services so I just wanted to just kind of respect how she felt and if she felt you know I just wanted to have little accommodations for her at school things that you know that she's struggling with and things like that and they were willing to do it with the 404 plan so we're like okay you know she doesn't um she I mean pulling her out of class to go to to see a speech therapist would be kind of hard for her just because she doesn't want to miss out whatever's going on in class. She wants right. to be, she wants to be part of the class or going and t- taking her out to go see the psychologist. You know, she wants to be part of the class. So let's just bring the psychologist to the classroom. The, the psychologist can just look at her from a distance because she doesn't like that kind of attention on herself because she doesn't like being on the spotlight. And that's another project, you know, thing that she doesn't like being the center of attention I mean, right. she's like when the teacher would call her name, she's just like shuts down, even though she knows the answer and she's so intelligent and she's so smart. But it's just like that attention brings her, gives her too much anxiety. And she does suffer from a lot of anxiety, um, mm-hmm. social anxiety, just um, separation anxiety and things like that. So she s- suffers a lot from that uh, in that way. Yeah. So uh, anxiety is is huge in the Fragile X world for both males and females Mm -hmm. and even just for for carriers. Um, I definitely struggle with anxiety um, and I did struggle with anxiety in similar ways as your as your daughter. And, you know, you were sharing on how um, she didn't want to be seen by a speech therapist that she'd rather be in school. And um Honestly, I think you could argue that her being in school is more effective for her um, and more um, helpful for her to just be in school if she, you know, um, has such a uh, great, you know, you said she's above all peers academically, like then, yeah, why not stay in school and and not be pulled out to do speech therapy and stuff. Um, So I definitely admire that and just you know, wanting to do what was, what is the most comfortable for her. Um, I think that that's really um, encouraging and inspiring for other families. Um, so thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, so uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, with your, with your son. Um, and you said, how old is he currently? You said he's three um he's five years old currently five okay yeah okay great um so with with uh that age what are some things that um you know you've you've noticed with him as far as you know behavioral like his um developmental milestones he's reached recently or anything you can speak on with that um I feel like he has come a very long way (laughs) of course that's awesome Uh, because he's been receiving services and he's been part of like the research studies with for kids with fragile eggs. So he's been doing a lot of different things. And I think like, 
I this in this past year, he's made a tremendous amount of growth. We started potty training when he was three years old. And uh, he's, I mean, right now, I feel like he has a pretty good idea. I think just in this past few months, he, he has reached like an understanding. Like before when we started when he was three, I feel like he didn't really understood like the whole concept of potty training. He just kind of thought, oh, you know, it's some another task that I have to do during ABA or another task that my mom's making me do. So I'm just going to go with it. So he didn't really understand like the whole concept of why he was going because, you know, you're going to go on your pants or things like So he didn't understand the whole concept. But I feel like in the past few months, he's understanding a little bit more. I mean, I think there's been four occasions where he takes us, well, he takes me to the bathroom and, you know, he asks me to help him and assist him in the bathroom and he actually goes he has a, a success in the restroom so i think that's pretty amazing that he's it's kind of he's reaching that understanding of okay when i feel the urge like i have to go tell mom and i have to tell her to help me go to the restroom or i have to use my communication device and show her that i need to go potty or or we have like little pictures on the wall of the potty and he could pull it from the wall and bring it to me and he's able to do that not all the time but from you know on several occasions he has done it so it gives me a little bit of hope that he is understanding that we didn't spend all these years potty training for nothing right <laughs> and that his all his hard work and my hard work and everybody's hard work on his team you know it has reached a certain point where he's understanding and he's also understanding he's more aware of his environment he's more aware of you know where we are at he's more like when we go outside he used to just kind of run and kind of book it to uh you know to the to the street and now so he he has he he had no awareness whatsoever and I feel like recently he if I tell him hey come here case you got to stay by mom and then he looks at me and then he's like okay so he'll he'll give me his hand and then we're like okay Emmett when we go outside you have to hold mom's hand and before he would have just like sat down and like, he's not moving. Like he's just going to sit there and he's going to have me carry him because he's not going anywhere if he doesn't want to, or he would just have a big old meltdown and that was kind of it. And now I feel like the meltdowns have decreased tremendously. He is still nonverbal. So he communicates with um, an AAC device and he communicates um, by gestures. And there is like, I think maybe he has maybe like a total of four words maybe in his vocabulary. <laughs> Um, okay. That he, he can use that he uses like um, from time to time. I feel like he's starting to um, pick up more words. They they're just not very consistent. So we kind of rely on the speech device to kind the AAC device to kind of help us whenever he needs something and we don't really understand what he's asking us. So he's able to communicate that and he's really willing to use it and that has relieved so much frustration from him because I feel like. When he was smaller, like 90% of the frustration and the meltdowns and everything was because he couldn't communicate his needs. Right. Yeah. It's it's a very hard thing, you know, when children can't verbally communicate their needs or how they're feeling. And, um, you know, as they progress and develop more speech and, you know, are provided with more resources to uh, express themselves like his iPad and everything like that it just becomes 
such a amazing tool for them for sure. And like you said, decreases his meltdowns and, and things like that. So that's so cool. And, um, that is also really cool to hear about the potty training of how, you know, he uses those prompts and every child with fragile X, every one of their journeys is so different with potty training. You know, it, some, some, uh, some pick it up pretty quickly. Um, but it all just comes back to that consistency. Cause you kind of spoke on that, um, to having consistency with them and a routine of, you know, doing it the same way every time. Um, and then they just pick up on that, you know, they pick up on that consistency and they think, oh, okay, so this is what I have to do, you know, to be able to tell them this or to be able to do this. Um, and that's just, um, you know, a big way on how they, they learn new skills. And so that's super cool. And we also just are fresh off of a potty training podcast. So <laughs> I know I, I, I listened to like half of it. I haven't got to the other parts I was gonna I was like I remember that I love I love that episode I watched I listened to half of it and I'm still on the other half <laughs> yeah well you know it's it's a great one because it's a couple of moms that share you know their experiences because they have yeah. all different aged kids so yeah that definitely speaks to all the different ages as well um in the Fragile X community but um yeah thank you for sharing on that um I kind of want to move to uh, your perspective on, you know, this upcoming school year of doing either, you know, virtual education or in-person education. And I know that some uh, states and school districts are also offering kind of a little bit of both. I think it's sort of, there's a few different options swirling around, but um, I'd love for you to share kind of what uh, you and your husband have decided to do, you know, for your kids and kind of your reasoning behind it as well. Okay. Um, well, our state, we are in California. So um, they've decided that, well, at least in our counties, we're in the red county. <laughs> Not very yeah. proud of that, but we are in that, in those red zones. So we are, um, they're not going to open schools. We have restrictions, the governor send out restrictions for that so everything every, all the schools nearby have to be virtual or they have to be like online learning and things like that and we have we had already for Emmett he has been homeschooled since preschool so he um he would just attend like a socialization preschool like twice a week at a university where they do where they work with kids with autism and special needs so he was attending that twice a week just to kind of socialize to kind of get him out of the house mm -hmm. so we, we were doing that before everything shut down and that was kind of we we had decided to homeschool him since we put him in public education when he was three years old after he got his IEP he attended school for I think three months and then we decided that we were just going to pull him out of school just because it was just not the right environment for him he would spend a lot of time frustrated at school. And I, and I work with Emmett since he was 18 months with ABA at home. And he was thriving. Like he was thriving at home and he was learning so much. And he was comfortable with working at home. 
and with with the ABA team, they would come to they would come to our house, and they still come to our house and work with him. So he was kind of used to that. And then we switched him to school, and he just shut down. He was just not thriving anymore. He would struggle, and he didn't want to work with anybody at school, and they didn't know how to work with him. Um, they were kind of they just wanted to work with him on life skill things, which we were fine with that. But a lot of the stuff I felt like like Emma was already eating with a spoon when he was going to school. And then a month passed by and Emma refused to eat with a spoon. And then I sent the ABA therapist to go see like kind of the routine of the school. Cause if I went, Emma was going to get upset cause he wanted to come with me. So I sent the ABA therapist to his school and then she saw, and then she's like, you know what? Like they're kind of doing everything for him. So they're kind of just feeding him. They, for the communication device, they weren't even using it. So I just felt like it was just not everything that we had worked so hard for him to learn. He was just unlearning because he Mm -hmm. was, he was going to school in the environment. They were just kind of, I don't know if they felt bad for him or they thought they were helping him, but they were just kind of just letting him be and kind of not giving him, you know, enough work to do or things to do that he was just kind of like, well, I don't have to do anything at school. I could just sit here and do nothing. And that's fine. Yeah. So then we decided to just pull him out. And then kind of just go our own way. So we decided to get our own private services. So we got our own um, speech therapy. We got occupational therapy. We uh, implemented more ABA hours. So he went from having a few hours to having 40 hours a week of ABA at home. So he still had a full day at home. And we see still um, would go to the preschool twice a week. And then I would still do the homeschooling. So it was just he already had a full jam-packed day. So, I mean, I felt like he was going to get more out of that than out of school at the moment. Um, right. So we just decided to go that route with Emmett. And then we kind of liked it. I felt like we did two, yeah, like two years of it. And he's he's doing pretty well. So we just wanted to implement that. And then for Amaya, she always went to a smaller school. I When she started kindergarten, I put her in a bigger setting. And she struggled. She was struggling so much. And I thought it was uh, kind of crazy because when she was, she started Head Start really early. So she started Head Start when she was like two and a half. Mm-hmm. And then she, she was always ahead of everybody. And then she started kindergarten and she just shut down. So I was, I was like, what, what is wrong with, you know, with her at school that's bothering her so much? And I would go and I would kind of observe her at school. And I noticed that, you know, she would always be by herself. Like, she never really interacted with the kids. And then the school was really big. There was so many kids in that school. And then I was, I me and my husband sat down and we're like, you know what? I think she was doing better when she was in Head Start in preschool because she was in a smaller environment. And she kind of knew the people and she kind of got to know everybody. And she thrives better in a small environment rather than being in a big, giant school setting. Yeah, for sure. So then I talked, well, I talked to her doctor and I told her about what I was thinking. And she's like, okay, well, just let's try a smaller school and see if it makes a difference. And it made the world of a difference for her. She went from having C's and B's to having like straight A's, not needing any help with anything. She thrived. She was getting student of the month, getting all these awards and things like that. Whereas in kindergarten, she struggled so bad. And I was like, it's crazy because at home she does it. Like she knows how to read. She knows how to do this. But at school, when they would test her, she would completely shut down. She wouldn't like, 
she would, I would tell the teacher, can you send me the test and I could do it at home with her and I would do it and she would get a hundred percent, but they would do it at school and she would just shut down. She would refuse. Yeah. So it was just kind of like too much for her. So then after she started the, the smaller school was better. And now, you know, she was there from first, second and third grade. And then this year we decided to move to a new city. So we were looking for a new school and in the middle of everything going on, everything shutting down. Yeah. So we kept her, we had her finish her school year at her old school because they went online anyways. So everything was online. So she finished her school year and then we were going to put her in a new school here, preferably like a smaller school setting, but we couldn't um, find anything because all of, you know, everything was shutting down and they were taking new students and things like that. So we were like, okay, well, since I've been homeschooling Emmett, we'll just kind of homeschool him. And because I talked to the, our district and I was like, well, what are you going to give the kids? Like, what are you offering? Like, is it just going to be like packet work or like, what is like the virtual learning look like? And nobody knew anything. Like, I felt like nobody, I mean, they're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I was like, I wasn't comfortable with him just kind of figuring it out. So I told my husband, you know what, I'm just going to like put her in a, in a charter school. So it's, um, we went through a, a charter school and they do homeschooling. It's a homeschool charter school. And okay. I was like, I was like, it's a better option for us. Cause I feel more comfortable with her being around. I mean, with us getting the tools that we need to teach her at home rather than, you know, when they shut down, we just got these packets and Amaya went through those packets like in less than a week. Oh, and my then goodness. I, so I'm like, I went, I had to like find something else for her to work on like you know I had to do like kind of and they still had like those zoom meetings and things like that that which Amaya loved and she liked them but I felt like there wasn't enough stuff and I know and then there's in the times when I go to school still trying to figure it out and I just don't want my daughter to be kind of you know an experiment to see what works and what doesn't work and then we don't know like if the schools are going to open up and then she's going to end up it's going to be a new school and she's going to go and then they might close down again and i it's just very inconsistent so i rather mm-hmm. her just be like just do the fourth grade and be like okay let's just do the fourth grade online i mean um with homeschooling with me teaching her and then you know when fifth grade starts she could start fresh she could go to her new school with new people and everything's normal cuz everybody's under, under in my opinion i feel like everybody's under a lot of stress right now yeah and, and even like I told my husband, I go, when the kids go back to school, like, you don't know if what if the teacher gets sick or somebody like the, the helper gets sick or their peers start getting sick and things like that. Kids starts missing school. What if she gets sick? She has to miss school. I go, so I'd rather just have it more controlled. And she thrives better on a more routine, on a set schedule, so in a consistency and just being consistent. I go, so if things start going crazy I go I don't want her to feel like overwhelmed by it and things like that right that definitely makes sense and um I think that you know if you can even if you can just homeschool your kids during this time that it really is a great way to go because then you can maintain that consistency for them and um everything like that so um it's just because I know like well I have my my sister that she's like oh my god school and my mom she's a single mom so obviously I like I totally understand like the parents that can't homeschool their kids and things like that Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm like in my opinion if you can like if if there's any way that you 
you know, you're able to do it, just kind of do it just because I feel like the kids are already going through a lot and it's a lot of change. Like the school, yeah. will, some, some schools will start up and then they're going to shut down again and then they're going to open up. And I go, and it's, it's hard on the kids. Like when the school shut downs, I felt like it was really hard on the kids to adjust yeah. to that kind of routine. And I was like, I told my husband, I go, I don't want her to feel like, you know, I, I want her to be, I, and I, I mean, I could, I have the knowledge to teach her at home. So I was like, I'm going to utilize that and then just kind of have, I mean, and we have the, the charter school that's going to help us and they, they still provide services. So they're still going to provide her, um, so for like for Emmett, there's, they still provide OT, speech, occupational therapy and all that stuff. And for Amaya, they're still going to provide her services, obviously through Zoom which okay. they would do that anyway. So they're still going to get all their services through them. That's so um, great. So I was like, I feel like it's more controlled this way. I know I feel so bad when I, like for the other kids that, you know, the parents have to work or mom right. has to work from home. It's very hard right now. And I feel that, yeah, you know, we just kind of have to try to make it as normal as possible for the kids. Yes. <laughs> That's definitely important. And, you know, all, all um, kids with, with fragile X syndrome, um, I'm sure not, you know, every single one of them understand what's going on right now. And so, you know, their routine is changing and, or it has changed already for quite a while. And then, you know, maybe it's going to change again for them once the school year starts. Um, if they end up, whether they end up doing, you know, virtual education or, or, um, you know, uh, homeschooling or, or some virtual some yeah. person, you know, there's just so many different possibilities. And, and once their, you know, um, their routines change so many times that can definitely make an impact on them. And I think, you know, um, like you were saying, if, 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 uh, parents can figure out one thing to do, such as, um, homeschooling, it can be a, 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 better thing for them because they're already used to their home environment and, and everything, you know, like that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a tough decision and it's, it's hard to really know what the right thing is to do because like you were saying, what if school, you know, starts and then it ends and you just don't want to go through all that. So it's just easier to avoid it all and do homeschooling. <laughs> yeah it's just and... I, I, that's what it's on my husband I was like I don't know like I I like I mean I'm I like to have I mean I was like I like to have a schedule I like to have everything in control I go in like for Anamaya's the same way and Emmett thrives on routine so I was like I don't want to mess it all up and then and it's hard like for Emmett he went from having in-person ABA and then recently the, the ABA company decided they were gonna do more of a virtual ABA so mm -hmm. then now I'm having to be the ABA therapist and now I'm also the yeah. therapist and now I'm going to be the teacher. So I was like, it's, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm going to put all those hats on and go, whatever gets them to, and Emmett, I mean, he is, he's adjusting pretty well. Like he, as long as it's consistent, if we change it up every week, it's just, it makes it hard for him to, you know, kind of pick it up. Right. So we just try to keep it as consistent as we can right now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's great, like you said, to have those routines and being able to do them as his mom definitely is helpful too. <laughs> um, how is uh, uh, Emmett doing with, with Zoom and doing his, um, you know, 
his different um, therapy sessions that way. Um, Have you noticed he's he's pretty attentive to them um, or does he kind of struggle with with being attentive on Zoom? Um, How has that been going for him? Um, it just varies now <laughs> from yeah. day to day. I mean, some days he's very engaged. He will sit there and he'll kind of interact with the, mostly with the speech therapist, uh, with the ABA, he kind of, what they, what they, what the setup that they have with ABA is that they'll tell me how to run the trials and how to run, you know, whatever his program is on his program. So I'll run the trials and they'll just be telling me through the computer, okay, you're going to tell him this, you're going to do this. So he kind of, it's not really towards him. It's more towards me and then working with him. Okay. So it's more kind of like that. Um, but with speech, we try to get him to sit in front of the computer. And Emma runs around the whole house. He likes to take the computer with him. So they make it really fun. I feel like the speech therapist, well, he she has made it very fun and very engaging. Where, you know, if he wants to just do whatever he wants to do she'll be like okay well if you want to do this today because that's what's in your house okay let's do that let's you know talk about what you're watching let's talk about you know what you're playing with and she kind of works with whatever he's kind of interested in at the moment and, and he engages I, I feel like the other day I mean it was a few weeks back he was on um, on speech therapy through zoom and he was watching he likes watching the little Einsteins Mm-hmm. and he loves watching it he was watching it on the tablet and I was like oh do you want me to take away the tablet you know so he can be more engaged she's like no it's fine we'll just interact with the tablet you know he could tell me about what he's watching he could show me and I was like is he really gonna show her or he's just gonna sit there and watch like his tablet you know yeah yeah because <laughs> I mean that's what I was thinking he was gonna do but no he was like I gave him the the computer and I was and then she was asking him like Emmy what are you watching can you tell me what you're watching? And then he would he would get his tablet and he would put it in front of the computer and he would point to whatever he was watching. It was so cute because he was like, Aww. and then she would ask him, "Can you point at the butterfly? Let me see, let me see the butterfly on your tablet." And he would put it up to the screen and he would point at it. And then when he would say bye, he got up so close to the screen. I was like, I think he thinks like she's right there. So yeah. he, he got up like really close and I'm like, Emmy, like no matter how close you get, like you're not going to be able to touch her. <laughs> She's not coming out of the screen. But I mean, I under- that he's understanding and I felt like you just kind of have to be patient with it. Yeah. And there is some days that, you know, I have to kind of run around with the computer, chasing him all around the house so he can interact. And then just mm-hmm. with a the speech therapist on those days, we just kind of work with what we have. We just focus on like, okay. Like, what can I do to help him at home rather than, you know, forcing him to sit in front of the computer if he doesn't feel like it? Right. So so she can tell, yeah, so she could tell me like, okay, you know, try to do this with him today, you know, try to do that with him today whenever he's in a better mood or whatever. And and when in some days, like, I feel like because he sees the computer all the time now, he sees Mm -hmm. it through ABA, he sees it through speech. I feel like he's he thinks it's the normal. So it's part of his normal routine. So now he's more engaged. He says hi to the people. He says bye um, to the people on <laughs> Zoom. He shows them what he's doing. He We rearranged his room. He wanted me to take the computer in his room and kind of show him around the room. Oh, that's awesome. So I feel like there is some kind of interaction. I Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know... 
when when uh parents of of uh children with fragile X share stories like that it just it always reminds me that you know um kids with fragile X can really do anything that that you know they put their minds to honestly you know they can be taught they can be you know uh in, encouraged in in new um learning uh habits and and everything like that it just takes consistency and you know not forcing uh them like you were saying that's also a huge key as well and you know just kind of uh meeting them where the where they're at like you also said so um that's so cool though um and it's great that he's enjoying you know virtual uh learning and even though it can it can be a a big difference but um that's just so cool because you definitely you know don't want your kids as a mom you don't want them falling backwards you know during this time and um it's hard juggling that i'm sure with two kids <laughs> mm-hmm. making sure that they're both getting the education that they you know need and deserve so um that's just really cool and and props to you and your husband for for really uh, just going the extra mile and making sure that, you know, they're both taken care of in their education. And that's just so, so cool. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your uh, Fragile X journey. Um, It's very interesting hearing about, you know, uh, a son and a daughter with Fragile X. Um, And I also just would love for you to just briefly uh do a shout out of your um podcast that i have definitely been excited to be um seeing which is super cool so um would you mind just sharing that real quick yeah so um i am the one of the voices behind the fragile eggs and mom um, podcast and it's available on everything <laughs> yeah so um and then uh, we, me and my husband started the podcast because we wanted to kind of for people to see the perspective from his perspective and from my perspective. And it gives us kind of like an outlet to kind of safely share our feelings and share our experiences uh, as we go through this journey together. But, you know, also being able to kind of just talk about everything fragile X without feeling you know, judge or anything like that. And also to raise awareness. I think that was kind of the biggest thing because I feel like every time we tell somebody, oh, our kids have fried drugs, they look at us like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, and I and I was told my husband, I go, I want them to look at us like when you tell, like usually when we tell people that Emma has autism, they're like, oh yeah, like I know somebody with autism. But then, like, when we say fragile X, it's like we're speaking foreign language, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, we, we want to raise enough awareness so it's kind of, you know, for everybody, it's not something that's new. It's something that people can kind of know about and then kind of not feel threatened by it. I feel like a lot of professionals, um, I've experienced with a lot of medical professionals, that they feel like, I don't know if it's threatened or just, they just don't understand. They've never really seen a child with fragile X. So they were kind of like, oh, that's what they look like. Like, oh. And then they automatically, I was told like by a few professionals when Emma was first diagnosed that like, oh, you know, he he's going to be like very severe. And like, I understand he's very severe on, on fragile X and stuff. And he has all, he has the epilepsy and he has um, 
the low muscle tone and sensory issues and everything. But but I felt like they were just kind of like saying kind of like the book definition of fragile X rather than, you know, like they do learn. They are very social. They're friendly. They yeah. love they love people like my son. I mean, he has sensory issues and he I mean, he doesn't tolerate certain noises and people touching him and things like that. But he still loves people like he might not. He enjoys watching people walk. He enjoys, you know, when you smile, he smiles like he enjoys things like that. So and so does my daughter. My daughter might not, you know, start up a conversation with you, but she loves people and she loves to, you know, she's very outgoing in her own way. Um, yeah. And I, I, that's what I'm like. I just want people to see that. Like, I want people to like, and that's why we share, like, we also share our, like, our life on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So if you follow us there, so we share it on there as well. And I feel like we've been, we've met so many great families through sharing our journey that, you know, they kind of, they're like, oh my God, you sh-, like, my son does that too. And it feels good to see other families. Um, share those kinds of stuff because when Emmett first got diagnosed uh, our geneticist he, he he got us in contact with another family that had a child with fragile eggs and he's like I've never my our geneticist was like Emmett's like the first person I ever met with fragile eggs like I've never met anybody with fragile eggs so I can like I want to give you more resources I want to tell you about all this stuff but I don't know anything about fragile eggs so and I was kind of discouraged because I was like, okay, well, you know, like, where's our community? <laughs> like, yeah. there's, only, there's only one person here. And then he gave us the contact information from that person. And we called them. And then we, you know, chatted and stuff. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, are we the only ones here? Like, where's the other people? And that's when I was like, you know what? Like, it's, and then that's when we started going to, like, the UC Davis Mine Institute and reaching out to, like, the Fragile X Clinics and, the National Fragile X Foundation and things like that. And I was like, oh my God, that is such a great resource that we want to, you know, be able to provide that for people like, like with our families. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, uh, sometimes in order to share uh, our Fragile X stories, it really takes utilizing the uh, virtual platforms because it's just, you know, it's really the biggest way to reach so many people and, Uh, to share your stories and experiences and just creating more awareness of Fragile X, which is really truly the ultimate goal of every, uh, you know, individual in the Fragile X community, you know, whether you're a carrier, full mutation carrier, pre-mutation carrier, self-advocate, you know, um, our, we're, our, collectively our, our goal is to create more awareness. Um, And, you know, I was actually encouraged uh, several months ago. um, One of my really good friends um, is pregnant and she uh, told me that uh, part of her uh, genetic testing that she got just as, you know, uh, standard, you know, procedure of of getting genetic testings then when you get pregnant, um, one of them, you know, included Fragile X. And I was like, that is so great. Um, I, just knowing that, you know, that is included and, and that she did, you know, see it, um, even yeah. though it, it made no, it made no impact on her life um, at all. It, it's not prevalent in her, yeah. in her family. It was still cool to see it because then if, you know, people see that, 
in their, uh, you know, genetic testings when they, when they become pregnant, they can, they either know what it is or they don't. And, um, I just think that that's a, a, a great, um, tool too, just for people to become aware of fragile X, even if it is considered a, you know, rare disease, it doesn't mean it's any less important. Um, especially, you know, I know that every single individual in the fragile X community could say that, um, too. And so, um, we are just wrapping up the, uh, fragile X awareness month. And it's been so encouraging seeing all the, um, people in the fragile X community really stepping up and sharing, you know, their fragile X stories and experiences and, um, just their resources as well is, is huge. So, um, yes, advocacy is, is the most important. And, um, I have been following your Instagram page and it is so encouraging and it's so cool that you, uh, have a Dr. Randy Hagerman on your, um, podcast. It, I think it's coming up soon, right? Yes. So we are going to head out. Um, we are actually three hours away from the UC Davis Mine Institute. So we're going to go in and see her because we are part of a research study for, for the UC Davis Mine Institute. So we're going to, we're going to go there on Friday and I wanted to take, you know, take advantage of the opportunity of going there and kind of be able, and I was like, okay, well, it's Fragile X Awareness Month. So I thought it would be neat to have her explain a little bit more about Fragile X and kind of answer some questions. I received some questions on Instagram and I had posted on Instagram if anybody had questions that they wanted to ask um, Dr. Hogerman or they wanted to know about the UC Davis Minus Tour or the FX clinics and things like that, that they could always, you know, send them over. And then I would ask uh, Dr. Hogerman, which she's so amazing. We have yeah. seen her. We've been seeing her since Emma was diagnosed. She was one of, you know, the first people that changed our lives because she was so amazing and she was so encouraging and she gave us so much hope. And I hope that, you know, more families go out and they meet her or they meet other specialists. I know there's, there's Dr. Elizabeth Berry. Um, there's also other people that are very passionate about fragile eggs and they know so much and they can give you like so much resources that, you know, you might need as a newly diagnosed um, parent. Right. With um, a child. Randy, Dr. Randy Hagerman is a very uh, well-respected um, doctor in the Fragile X community for sure. Um, she has a huge impact. So that is such a cool opportunity to be able to talk with her and um, allow others to just um, ask her questions. Um, that's definitely going to be super impactful. Um so thank you so much, uh, Erica, for your time. I really appreciate you sharing on just your fragile X story and on your uh, son and your and your daughter. And I'm just so excited about your podcast. And it's just so cool that we're, you know, collectively using a podcast uh, platform to just create more awareness of fragile X because there's definitely... Uh, such a cool opportunity for you and your husband to really speak to other, you know, married couples that have kids with fragile X. And so I'm so excited about that for you guys. Um, so thank you so much for being on Talk Fragile X with us. And um, I just am so excited about this episode, just really reaching as many families as possible and just encouraging them and 
uh, uplifting them and um, also their journey with deciding whether to do virtual or in-person education as well. So um, thank you so much, Erica, and um, I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you so much for having me. We are I'm so excited to be here and yeah. thank you so much for listening to our live I know it's long and it's difficult <laughs> but thank you so much and I hope that everybody stays healthy and I hope that everybody figures something out like the new normal for them whatever that might look like and yeah thank you so much absolutely thank you thank you bye-bye Thank you for tuning in to Talk FX. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Talk Fragile X to keep up to date on the latest episodes. You can listen to Talk Fragile X on the major podcast listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.